Support for the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over, join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off plus free worldwide shipping with the code CRIMEOCLOCK at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 14 million balls. The Performance Package 4.0 has arrived and oh man, it is a game changer. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawn Mower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag to hold your goodies. First off, the Lawn Mower 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming and dare I say the greatest ball trimmer ever. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents stink thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawn Mower 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 4000K LED spotlight you need a more precise shave. Because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. You thought that was good, but want to take your grooming game even further to the next level? The Performance Package 4.0 also includes this Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate nose holes. Their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner will change the way you approach your hygiene routine. Trust me when I say this, fellas, your balls will thank you. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. My husband loves the boxers, and I have ended up stealing the travel bag to use for extra storage. It's time to take care of yourself, so go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code CRIMEOCLOCK. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code CRIMEOCLOCK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code CRIMEOCLOCK. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Summer Podcast. This is episode 97. I also want to let you know that this will be my last episode until I come back from Christmas break. I will have a new episode out this Monday. I won't have one out next Monday, but I'll return on Monday, January 2nd. Anyways, my sources for today's episode are Homicide for the Holidays, episode 97, season 4, episode 4, titled Murder Under the Mistletoe, Oxygen.com, ClickToHouston.com, CBSNews.com, HoustonChronicle.com, and TrueCrimeDaily.com. And as usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. Christmas is a big thing in Houston. Go big or go home kind of in Texas. You know, certainly not somewhere where you expect a mom to go missing the day after Christmas. The difference between a missing persons case and a homicide case is the circumstances surrounding it. The door was open and all I saw were two feet. And there was human feet? Mm-hmm. And they wasn't moving. Something dreadful happened to it. By Christmas 2013, Melissa Souders was in the middle of a divorce with her estranged husband, Matthew. Matthew had full custody of their four children. Melissa and Matthew had met in school when she was only 16. She became pregnant and worried about being a parent without being married. Melissa's parents co-signed for her and Matthew to get married. 
Melissa and Matthew eventually had four daughters. She seemed overwhelmed and the marriage started to fall apart. After signing the rights over for Matthew to have custody of the kids, Melissa met a new man named Jason. Melissa and Jason had known each other since elementary school, but reconnected. On December 25, 2013, Melissa's parents hosted their traditional holiday meal in Houston, Texas. The next day, Jason knocked on their door and asked if they had heard from Melissa. Melissa never showed up to pick him up from work the previous night. At the time, Melissa and Jason were sharing a new car she would pick him up from work. Melissa's sister kept trying to contact her, but her phone went straight to voicemail. Melissa's family reported her missing on the evening of December 26th. At the time, Melissa had been working at a Taco Bell, so the police contacted her work. She hadn't shown up for her shift that evening. Melissa's sister also said Melissa had dropped Jason off at work that morning and went to meet with her estranged husband, Matthew, and youngest daughter at McDonald's. After that, no one had heard from her. Melissa's car was not in the parking lot, but the police requested to see the surveillance video. Around 11 a.m., they saw Melissa walking into the restaurant. She looked at her phone and exited the restaurant. The police contacted Matthew. He said he was with Melissa earlier that day so that she could see her daughter. He said Melissa had to use the bathroom and didn't want to use it at McDonald's, so they drove to their old apartment. He said Melissa left on foot after using the bathroom. He believed she walked back to McDonald's to get her car. The McDonald's and the apartment were only a few minutes away. The police also reached out to Jason Sanford, Melissa's boyfriend. Jason said he had last spoken to Melissa on the phone while she was at McDonald's. Jason had tried to contact her after that, but there was no answer. At 11 p.m. on December 26, the police put a bolo out for Melissa. It was described that Melissa was last seen in black clothing and driving a white Honda. The car was an older model and the driver's side door was black, so the car was distinctive. On December 27th, Melissa's mom told the police that Melissa had seemed very happy and it was the first time in a while that she had been that way. Melissa had also revealed that she was pregnant and was about two months along. Matthew had told the police that he and Melissa were still seeing each other and having relations. Melissa had moved in with Jason, so the police's first theory was that she ran away because she didn't know whose baby it was. On December 27th, around 5 p.m., a patrolman contacted the Harris County Police and said he might have found the car they were looking for. It was in the back of a truck lot where 18-wheelers parked. The license plate confirmed it was Melissa's car. There was nothing suspicious found in the car, but a forensics team took a closer look. Melissa's disappearance was covered on the news around the country. The police ran background checks on Jason. Matthew had filed a phone harassment report against him and said that Jason was harassing him. Matthew had also said that Jason threatened that him and his kids were in danger. His background check also revealed that he had a violent background. He had been arrested three months earlier for assault. The police asked Jason about his assault charge. Jason revealed that it was his friend who had an affair with his wife. Yes, that's right. He had still been married at the time he and Melissa were dating. Melissa's family had no idea he was still married, and Jason's wife had no idea about Melissa. Jason provided the police with his phone. There was nothing unusual, and Jason's boss said he was at work when he said he was. He said he loved Melissa and knew that she was pregnant with his child. He did seem genuinely upset about her being missing, and he was 100% cleared as a suspect. On December 27th, 
The police received a call from their dispatch. The dispatch said a woman had called 911. The caller wants to file a report about something she witnessed the day before on December 26th. So she's transferred to the deputy on call. She told the patrol deputy that she was friends with Melissa Souders. And the same day Melissa went missing, she had gone to Matthew Souders' apartment. I went to the door, and, you know, he sat with his daughter. It's like, you know, why is she crying? It's like, oh, no, she's just upset. She said that he was evasive with her, wouldn't let her inside. He seemed very agitated, very nervous. And the door was open, and all I saw was two feet. After the 911 call, the police were sent to Matthew's apartment. There was no answer at the door, but due to what was reported, the police made entry. There was no power in the apartment, and there were dirty clothes everywhere. There was no sign that a crime had occurred in the apartment. On December 28th, another female came forward with information. This other woman said Matthew had given her information about killing Melissa and where her body would be located. The woman said Matthew and Melissa were still in a friends with benefits type of relationship. Matthew was jealous of Melissa's new relationship. The police believed now that Matthew had found out about the pregnancy. The police went to speak with the woman. She said on December 26th, Matthew had driven to her house in an older Model 4 truck. She said the truck was covered in mud and his clothes were soaking wet. She said he confessed to her about what had happened. Matthew had killed Melissa, put her in a large, large black trash bag and can. He took her to Cypress Creek near the apartment and put her body in the creek. The police gave the woman a recording device and asked her to record any conversations she had with him. Police learned that Matthew was staying with his parents. He agreed to meet with the police. The police asked Matthew if he and Melissa had any kind of fight. He said there was no kind of fight and became argumentative and defensive. The interview then ended. A search warrant was obtained for Matthew's truck. Some samples were taken from the truck, but there was no evidence connected to Melissa. The police then went to the creek to search. The creek was very large and near a large amount of woods and vegetation. The police contacted Texas EquiSearch to help in searching the creek. They used boats, sonar, and poles to try to locate Melissa's body. Melissa's family showed up at the creek after seeing the information on the news. On December 31st, the woman that Matthew had confessed to told the police that he had put Melissa in a trash can. The police found a heavy-duty trash can in the water, but the trash can was empty. In the recording, it's very hard to hear, so I'm just going to tell you what Matthew said. Matthew told this woman that the police probably wouldn't be able to find Melissa. I also read in some other articles that this woman was Matthew's girlfriend, who wished to remain anonymous. The police believe Matthew thought they were very dumb and had covered his tracks really well. On January 1st, 2014, Texas EquiSearch continued to search for Melissa's body into January 2nd. Around 9 a.m., Texas EquiSearch had recovered a body. The body was so close to the shore and still in the water. The water was very cold at the time that her body was put into the water, so her body was pristine. Melissa was identified by her tattoos. Melissa's family was obviously heartbroken. Melissa's injuries were due to strangulation, but she also had several blunt force trauma injuries to her head. Due to her being in the water, the forensic pathologist couldn't determine if she had been sexually assaulted. 
but she did have chemical burns on her torso and upper legs. It seemed as if Matthew had poured bleach on her to remove his DNA. It also confirmed that Melissa was pregnant at the time of her death. The cause of death was ruled as homicide due to homicidal violence. Tip came into the police from Matthew's friend that he was going to commit suicide by cop if he was arrested for murder, and Matthew said he had a gun. The police went to Matthew's home where he was living with his dad. The police were outside when him and his dad walked outside, and Matthew was arrested. Matthew was charged with capital murder. The police offered to him to tell them what happened, but his attorney came down and the interview was over. In April 2015, Matthew pled guilty. He was sentenced to 60 years with the possibility of parole after 30. Before she died, Melissa told her friends that Matthew was very possessive and controlling. Melissa also told her aunt that Matthew had also pulled a knife on her and threatened to kill her before. Melissa had a picture of her pregnancy test on her phone, which Matthew probably had discovered. It's believed Melissa did go to her apartment to use the bathroom, and Matthew killed her over finding out she was pregnant with Jason's baby. Matthew then strangled Melissa, put her in a garbage can, drove her to the creek, and dumped her. Matthew's handprints were found in Melissa's car. Matthew then dumped the car in an 18-wheeler truck parking lot. Melissa's children were raised by Matthew's parents. I missed my grandkids. Sometimes they've came by my work and I've seen them for a few minutes. I pray for them because I know they miss their mom and dad because they don't have either one of them now. Thank God these two women and Matthew's friend came forward about what they saw or heard. Without them, who knows if Melissa would have been found. Matthew thought he was going to get away with it, but luckily his own stupidity caused him to get caught. I hope Matthew is rotting in prison, and I hope the children are thriving today. They lost both their parents because of Matthew's jealousy. My book recommendation for this week is The It Girl by Ruth Ware. Summary. April Clouts Cliveden was the first person Hannah Jones met at Oxford. Vivacious, bright, occasionally vicious, and the ultimate It Girl, she quickly pulled Hannah into her dazzling orbit. Together, they developed a group of devoted and inseparable friends, Will, Hugh, Ryan, and Emily, during their first term. By the end of the second, April was dead. Now a decade later, Hannah and Will are expecting their first child, and the man convicted of killing April, former Oxford porter John Neville, has died in prison. Relieved to finally put the past behind her, Hannah's world is rocked when a young journalist comes knocking and presents new evidence that Neville may have been innocent. As Hannah reconnects with old friends and delves deeper into the mystery of April's death, she realizes that the friends she thought she knew all have something to hide, including a murder. Hannah learns that someone from her past, the man who is accused of killing her former friend, is dead. At first, Hannah thinks there is no way that he was innocent, but soon starts to reminisce about the past. Hannah starts to question her former group of friends, the, if this man really killed her best friend and her best friend herself. I always love Ruth Ware's writing, and I give this book a 9 out of 10. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, email me at itscrimeoclocksomewhere at gmail.com, buy me a coffee, and leave me a five-star rating and review. I'll be back in two weeks with an all-new case and book recommendation. I hope everyone has an amazing holidays, spend time with your family, and eat lots of amazing food. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.